Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 438. I hope you're all well. Um, I'm joined today by Lucy Pinder. Uh, I really enjoyed this chat. It was an absolute joy. A lot of you will know Lucy from b- being one of the, the the faces as such of the kind of FHM and Nuts era. And I hope a fair few of you will also know her from her fantastic podcast, Smashing Sundays, which she hosts with Beth Granville, who will be on on Friday. So it's a full Smashing Sundays week ahead of the return of their new series um, to give any new listeners a chance to catch up on some of their amazing episodes with Alistair Green, Adam Hess, just loads of really good people. Tom Davis, I think, who was my guest last week. Yeah, that's how we kind of became in contact with each other because I became a fan of their podcast and uh, yeah we exchanged some chats back and forth and decided now would be a great time to have both Lucy and Beth on so uh, yeah we got on both recorded and I'm kicking it off with this wonderful chat with Lucy we talk about her podcast and we talk about the lads mag era Um, we talk about her acting her writing all the things that have been going on on since one of the things I, I, I love about learning since I moved into acting and writing and this kind of thing, how much goes on behind the scenes that you never know about. So there's so many people hustling away, changing their careers and lives completely, and you might not find out about it for a couple of years or four, five, six, seven years, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, you've done this overnight." So no, there's been loads of work. So I wanted to dig into that uh, with Lucy. Yeah, I'll get onto the chat, but before we do, this is obviously as ever this is brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. You can head over there to get my music, my merch, my books, all the different things I've been doing over the years. Um and you can support the podcast. You can support it there and at patreon.com forward slash scrubius pip. So let's get on with the podcast. This is episode four hundred and thirty-eight of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the wonderful Lucy Pinder. There we go. Right, I'm here today with L- Lucy Pinder. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be to be having a chat. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. It's good. How's your day been so, uh, so far? Have you been doing anything nice. exciting? No, nothing too exciting. I've been for a walk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've gone and got my nails done. It's all been very like Lady of Leisure vibes. You today. See, this is the kind of thing <laughs> I, I need to be hearing. Normally, I don't ask people people how they're their day's going but the weather's just started to turn all right and I think everyone's kind of going I'm going to leave the house and I'm going to do this or do that (laughs) yeah I just went I do like there's my kind of my usual walk like like I'm like a 70 year old woman but I do like I'm in a bit of a routine with this nice kind of park walk and today's been glorious I love it. I it's love proper it. spring-like out there, but then everyone's like, "Oh no, we've got snow coming. It's gonna. We're getting, we've got a cold snap coming." That's all right. A bit of variation. I'll live yeah, with that yeah, for the moment. Yeah, variety's the spice of life. Yeah. Where are you? Um, I'm in Essex, so I'm oh, lovely. S- similar. I've got my. I was going to ask, has that been a pandemic thing that's given you your kind of your set walking route? Because I've definitely got my kind of into the habit now. I've lived in this same small town my whole life, but since the pandemic, I'm like, I've got literally on my phone after we finish this, I've got, go and have a walk before it gets dark. Yeah, yeah. Before it gets too cold and dark. Because I don't want to forget. This morning I thought, oh, I said, I'm talking to Scroobius Pippet too. Do I want to walk before or after? I was like, I'll walk before, listen to a few podcasts. I love it. It's so like, I feel like if I don't get a walk in, in a day, I just feel like my head isn't where it should be, and I think yeah. it is. I think it is a bit of a pandemic thing. Like I've always like loved, like I grew up in Hampshire in Winchester, yeah. so we've got beautiful, like lovely, like South Downs walks, and like yeah. So I've always done it, but I think making it a daily routine has been such a pandemic thing. Yeah, because I went back because I'm in London, but I went back to my parents for a few months the first lockdown, and I was yeah. like. There was literally nothing to do apart from 
walks and eat <laughs> yeah. make cocktails. Yeah, that's a solid combination. I've, Isn't I've, it? I've, I've talked to, I can't remember who I talked to about this before. I think it was a Jimmy Carr, actually, who's a name I probably shouldn't mention at the moment as he's <laughs> causing all sorts of sh- sh- shit, the silly boy. But um, he was saying about getting a dog and it being really good for him. And I said, it's a really weird thing that people will get a dog and go, well, this it's a living thing, so it needs to be walked, it needs fresh air, it needs exercise. We really think about that about ourselves, which is yeah. also perfectly valid. We're a living yeah. thing and we need f- fresh air, exercise, all of these things that you'd, if you had any pet, you'd go, all oh, right, we need to look Absolutely. after this. And we don't prioritise it for ourselves enough. So, But we talked about this actually, because I, um, we on uh, Smashing Sundays, the podcast that mm-hmm. me and, and Beth do, yes. we were talking to Tom Davis about um, how weird people are, because he was saying like, look, this was, this was pre-pandemic and I think he just got a dog and he was saying how much he liked walking and he was saying, I do think it's weird when people are walking without dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of agreeing. But now I'm like, after the pandemic, I'm like, everyone should get their steps in. Yeah. It's so good for your mind. Like, it's not just like exercise. What I mean, a lot of my, I've, I've eaten a lot of Welsh cakes over the weekend, so I needed to get my steps in today. But just mentally, yeah. just feel so much clearer. Yeah. For being out in some fresh air. Yeah, and and just I I love it for for listening to podcasts because my yeah. podcast listening dropped massively as the pandemic started because I generally listen when driving or on trains and stuff like that. And where I was at home a lot, I was like, I need to to get my listens in. So I chatted to Beth a few days ago, and honestly, I only got round heard a podcast chat right at the end so i've been adamant i want to get the podcast chat yes. right at the beginning here yeah so it's not another so the podcast then um <laughs> how long have you been doing it what it's it's smashing sundays with you and beth granville and yeah how did it all come about what was the reason for it so we are, i was quite slow to getting into podcasts yes yeah. i can't remember what was like the first ones that i was listening to and quite I think it was Beth's producer Tom Price that he produced her foiled radio series and his production company would were producing a lot of podcasts and it was him I can't remember if had we all been out we'd been somewhere and he was just like you two are quite and you're you're entertaining when you two are just chatting about rubbish and like she's for people that don't know like my my best friend Beth she's a, a comedy an amazing comedy writer She's so quick. She's just one of the funniest people on earth um, to me. And we just, we met relatively like, what, about five or six years ago, we kind of met through uh, a mutual friend and literally like fell in love with each other. Like we're both very different. We've got very different personalities, but we had a kind of very similar, this kind of parallel I keep using the word journey a lot, but I guess like journey of of things that had happened to us in life. So we, we were just, we became friends and Tom was like, you two should have a podcast. Like you are pretty entertaining. And I do think, I think it's better now, but I think a couple of years ago, like it was so male saturated, which is great. I mean, you know, my, my favourite podcasts are are made by men generally but we were like oh there is a gap in the market for just a couple of women just talking about anything like anything and everything and we were both we were both in very long-term relationships and kind of found ourselves single in our early 30s and there was something about we were chatting with Beth's writing partner Dave about doing the podcast and we were kind of saying oh we just want to like have a bit of a chat because when you're I think when you're single anyway but especially in your 30s like it's actually like it can be really fun and it's really freeing but those Sundays tend to be like all of my single friends are like there's something about Sunday when you're single and you haven't got anything to do and your other friends are with their partners and their families and it's a bit like so we kind of had this idea of let's like reclaim Sundays as singletons and go like it doesn't have to be you sat feeling lonely inside, like find find your friendship 
group, find your joy, find your tribe, that yeah. you can kind of look after each other and have fun on Sunday. So it's not, we kind of started it saying, let's get different guests on and ask about their favourite Sunday, yeah. their quintessential, like, talk about the quintessential British Sunday. But really, we just, we just want to be a chat. So if someone is feeling a bit lonely or a bit down on a Sunday. Like I literally want people just to listen to the podcast and be like, oh, I feel like I've just sat and had, like with yours, like this is what I love about your podcast. I just feel like I'm sat listening to a couple of friends chat. Well, that's what I was, I was, I was going to say. In kind of the boom of podcasting, I think there was an awful lot of companies and production companies and all that who were like, oh, we need to get this celebrity to have this podcast or whatever else. And what works on podcasts is people who are genuinely friends and can just yes. chat. And that's why I fell in, in love with Smashing Sundays. It felt just completely relaxed, completely comfortable, a loose format at best. Yes, very, at best. very loose. Um, I, I remember on, I think it was on, on the Alistair Green one, I got about halfway through and I was like, hang on, what's this podcast? Have they mentioned Sundays yet? We're just talking about it. It's lovely. It's great. But there's barely any, but, but that's a good thing. And, the more I, I listened was getting that. I'm a big fan of that reclaiming days that are meant to be something, but you realise that that's only only what you've been told. And I've got kind yeah. of a couple of examples. Um, and Sundays, are, as I said, it's a prime example because it is. It's very much either a couple day or a family day. Yeah. You know, and if you're away or out of either of those, it's like, well, what happens? But for years now, New Year's Eve, loads of my mates mock me because they think I hate New Year's Eve. I don't. It's my favourite day of the year, but I stay in on my own. It's one of my favourites. I stay in, I cook myself a really good meal. I, I choose a film like ages in advance and really I watch yeah. a really good film. And I really enjoy it. And it was a breakthrough in kind of in my late 20s of going, all right, all these overpriced, overcrowded parties that I'm not enjoying being at, but I've been told that that's what New Year's is meant to be. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that. And another example, a mate of mine who 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 passed away when he was at uh, 21, my actual 100% favourite day of the year is his birthday every year because we've all kind of reclaimed it as a, a celebration day rather than a sad day. We'll either get on in oh, these times on Zoom and all just chat and have memories yeah. or we'll, 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 go, we'll go around his parents for a barbecue and things like that. And I think it's really important to realise that you're allowed to change what you've been told a day is meant to be or even what, as blunt as it sounds, what fun is meant to be. If yeah. you've been, I grew up in Essex, so fun was always right. We're going out and we're getting hammered. We're getting yeah. absolutely wasted. It's like, it took me years to realise, oh, that's not always fun and that's not necessarily always what I'm into so I love the idea of reclaiming things like that. Do you find that you kind of I feel like there's something about your 30s so that thing of this idea of this kind of conforming to what's expected be Mm -hmm. it you know be miserable on a Monday be um out and and posting all over social media on New Year's Eve or be sad when you're thinking of uh, a a friend who's past birthday and that thing of just I do think there's something about I feel like, I mean, oh, I was just, I was such a little prick in my 20s. <laughs> like, I just, I feel like I lived a very different life then. And yeah. I feel like my 30s, I've really kind of found my joy and I found my tribe. And yeah. I know what makes me happy. And yes, there's still stuff that, you know, my life is far from perfect. I've not got anything figured out. But I do feel less pressure to kind of that thing of doing the expected or... I don't know the pressure that that pressure is still there like don't get me wrong but I do think that a lot of people yeah just kind of not really exploring what makes them happy yeah and this idea that like especially like we get this me and Beth talk about this a lot as single people this idea that like single people are really selfish because what you know everyone else is having to run around after partners or kids and it's like we do a lot to like make sure that we we always make effort to you know go and see our friends or we understand that friends who have got kids or really busy busier more stressful lives you know i i do think i just i think there's this idea about single people that is so undervalued yeah i completely agree yeah I, I think i think selfishness as well is a much misunderstood term and word cuz 
a level of selfishness is really important, like for your mental health, like being aware and taking time to go, no, here's what I want to do yeah. rather than what I should feel obliged to do as a friend or as a partner or as as whatever else. And I think that's why we have something of a, a mental health crisis is mm. we've built so many s- social responsibilities and duties when we should be going, right, no, is this good for me at the moment? Like it might be time you need to take a week away from everything or you know what I mean or have a breather or whatever else and yeah I think there's 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 definitely a balance there that needs to be definitely like our friend I think it was I think um our friend Tom said something about like he was like therapy is for the people around you like people that actually take you're doing that so you're a better version of yourself for everyone else but there is this idea and I think from especially our parents generation like my my dad who's wicked my dad's great and great company but I remember having a conversation with him about he said something about like, oh, everyone like hands on about mental health and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, why does that bother you? Oh, people should be more stoic. You know, we were this and we were that. And I'm like, and do you not think what you think you're better for that? Do you You think <laughs> yeah, because you exactly. suffered in silence that, we, that our generation after it's like you should want better for the next generation. Yeah. And yeah. surely. And he was like, oh, no, I do get it. And yeah, it's such a weird. I think it's a very British thing that that kind of, you know, stiff upper lip. Mm-hmm. kind of idea that it, it's a weakness to not be all right and to and this thing of like I was, like my dad again he was like oh, I find it all a bit self-indulgent I was like well you're allowed to think that but it could say some someone's life can be saved by knowing that it's all right to go to therapy or knowing that it's all right not to be all right all the time and not to live up to standards that society's putting on them like that is actually yeah. saving people's lives so the fact that you're a little bit irritated by it because you think everyone should be... I was like, does that really matter? He was like, no, probably not, actually. Yeah, it probably <laughs> like, balances out. That's yeah, like annoyance versus exactly. actual life saved. It's like probably this, all right. This thing of everyone feeling like they have to be so opinionated about everything. And it's like, I said to my dad, does it really... doesn't affect you because mm. we're talking about mental health. But yeah, and 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 this is, what, this is what I love podcasts for as well. I just love that. Like, just being at, like, January. I'm not good with January. The first week of January, I always feel... I feel that slump. And I try and, like we were just saying, I try and rationalise it and go, it is just a week of the year. But we do, you know, that's how we measure time. And I think January is pretty fucking depressing. (laughs) And the whole first week of January, I was just walking, listening to podcasts and getting myself out of that funk. Yeah. And not, you know, not bother it. And that's, if you are feeling a bit shit and you feel like you've kind of bored your friends to tears with it, I love yeah. being able to just stick, like, your podcast, or I love um, Wrong and Chatterjee's podcast. Yeah. I've just started listening to Fern Cotton's podcast. And it's just that thing of going, oh, no, everyone's struggling a little bit. You just feel a bit less lonely in those moments when you're feeling a bit down. Or it can bring you out, like, I listened to, oh, what was the one? Of, I listened to one of your podcast who was it that was so funny and it is that thing it can just really lift your mood and you feel like you've had a little chat with a with a mate so that's hopefully in a very long-winded way of like smashing sundays is just like mates sat chatting about all sorts of shit exactly (laughs) that and you've had some amazing guests on there as as well i kind of want to i'm curious as you've said kind of growing up kind of out in the countryside that what was your kind of upbringing like and what kind of kid were you like what did you want to do at at school what were your aims I was when I was little I was really sporty I was quite a tomboy when I was little so I I love I loved sport and I loved art so it wasn't like either or I used to love drawing yeah and I used to love sprinting I was good at like I've never been good at long distance running yeah but sprinting, I was really quick. So I was really quick at like 100 metres, was great at football because I was quick and just always, like, was always drawing, Love obsessed it. with drawing. And then I think when I went to secondary school, I think I got that thing that I think we all get as teenagers, I got a bit more self-conscious about everything, I guess. And then like you discover boys and you discover like friendship groups. And I think I lost a bit of my passion for those things like we were just saying you know all those things that you do when you're little and you just do it for the joy of it like it's yeah. just it's not there's not an end money. goal it's not, yeah yeah no no kind of plan i need to make money from this this needs to be a career 
choice. And I think that when we get to teenagers, like it's kind of like it's taught out of us. Mm. So I still, I was still like loved art, had a lovely, like me and my sister had such a lovely upbringing in Winchester. It's such a lovely, it's, it's, it's a lovely place to grow up. It's not the yeah. most exciting place to grow up. It's yeah. quite sort of sheltered and comfortable. But, you know, we had like um, holidays down in Cornwall. I think we had one foreign holiday when I was little. We went to Menorca when my, I think my dad's nan died. <laughs> I think my dad had some money and was like, oh, let's go abroad. Let's but go we abroad. used to just like go down to, we used to go and stay with my auntie who at the time lived in Cornwall. We just had a really nice upbringing. Um, Like, couldn't fault it at all. I think you've touched on something really, something that's one of the reasons people have struggled in the pandemic is you get to a certain age and everything you do suddenly has to be productive in some way. It has to have a reason. And I think a lot of people struggled when we were suddenly in lockdowns and stuff obviously financial struggles and everything aside but just on the human side of things people were trying to find ways to be worth something yeah and it's like no you shouldn't have to think that you should be able to go like I, i bang on about it a lot because i had a guy called rutger bregman on a couple of times who's amazing writer and he speaks a lot about how there was a period that we were trying to work towards you know, a, a four-day working week and prioritising leisure in our lives a lot more. And we went completely in, in the other direction. I've had huge periods of my life where I get really conscious if I'm not working or not doing anything or not feeling I'm productive. Yeah. And that sh- shouldn't be the case, right? We should have oh, that, I, that thing I from childhood massively... where we go, I want to make this because I want to make it, not because yeah. I can post it on Instagram and sell it and do this and do that. It's like, no, I want to create because oh, I want to create. A hundred percent. And I, I really struggle with that. It's like in my, in my kind of thirties now, which is, and I think that's what's so lovely about like my friendship with Beth has really taught me that you can't always, I'm not very good at living in the moment at all. Mm. I'm, I'm constantly kind of like, 20 steps ahead and that thing of just going let's just do this like something like the podcast let's just do this for the job we like doing it we're let's just sit together even if we're just doing it for us let's just do it it doesn't have to be this thing of like oh how do we market this where do we want to go with this and I think you're right I think yeah like that I I, it's awful because I'm such a like I just post a lot, like my whole life. I'm not very, I've never been very ambitious. Like I was meant to go to uni to do English with media and film. Mm -hmm. So I kind of was going, I guess in my head, I thought, oh, I might be an English teacher. I would like to work in film. So I'll do Mm -hmm. that degree. And then kind of fell into modelling. Thought I would do that for a year, go to uni, pay my you know, my student loan off and ended up like in this career for 10 years that I never planned for. Well, I was going to ask kind of how you handled that from speaking of of quite a nice secluded, sheltered in your words, childhood to suddenly being known all over the country (laughs) kind of thing, to being one of the main people in the in the FHM nuts, all that lads mag era and kind of it coming out of nowhere right it was kind of a yeah like me and me and my my friend Harriet we'd both taken we'd taken a gap year because we thought we were really mature and we wanted to work for a year before we went to university (laughs) and I remember we had like a we had a heat wave in 2003 yeah and we were both so we were both she was working at a solicitor's firm I was working at an architect firm architecture firm in Winchester And I think we had like a month left before we were both kind of going off to our kind of respective unis. And she just phoned up one night and was like, oh, it's going to be about 30 degrees tomorrow. Should we just go to the, let's let's call in sick and just go to the beach. And we were like, yeah, why not? Like we've got a month left in our jobs. So we just went down to Bournemouth Beach and this guy, I mean, it's so creepy now when I, when I (laughs) talk about it. And I remember even when I was modelling and I used to get asked about it and I was like, I probably shouldn't say this because there are going to be girls out there, like there are going to be some people with some quite nefarious kind yeah. of, you're, you know. You're, you're really lucky it was a genuine yeah, thing and a positive thing rather than just a, a photographer. Yeah. And yeah, this guy like came up to us and we'd like, I'd always, I'd been like busty from 
like when I was at school and we used to joke, like, you know, my friends used to joke about it. And But we went, so we were at the beach and this guy kind of approached us. I remember his name. His name was Leal. And he was he was a photographer for a local, I think like one of the Bournemouth, what was he, freelance? He was basically like on the beach. He had his two sisters with him. And he was just like getting pictures of, of Bournemouth Beach because it was rammed and it was a heat yeah. wave. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he kind of approached us and said, oh, you know, it's nothing dodgy, but I, you know, I can just, I can take pictures of you two just like in the, I mean, it's so, oh, it's just, it's so, what, what a time, what a fucking time. Thank God we don't live in these times. But he was he like, said, you know, it sounds I, awful, but it all, you know, ended up l- legit and progressed things. But yeah, I completely understand that telling this story yeah, will be very so worrying. Like, don't just accept this. If, <laughs> not if someone comes up to you and oh says, I'll take some pictures of you. <laughs> Of you yeah. and your mate. Oh, mate, you were so... And I was so anti because <laughs> I've never been... Like, I am... I think I've always been quite introverted. And I can't remember what... I was like, I'm not doing that. And Harriet was like, oh, go on, do it for a laugh. And I was like, no, absolutely not. And then I did and ended up... He then sold a couple of pictures of me to, like... I think they were in The Sun and The Star... And they both offered me contracts off the back of that. Mm. And I was, at the time, I was, I think the son phoned me and said, oh, do you want to come and do page three? I was like, absolutely not. I'm not doing that ever. Um, and the star just phoned up and said, do you want to come and do a lingerie shoot? And it was like, for more money than I'd ever, you know, now I look back and go, oh yeah, we were really badly exploited. But at the time, when you're like yeah. 19 and about to go to uni, if someone offers you a few grand, you're like, wow, like this is amazing. And that's just how it, and I kind of hit it, the men's weekly magazines came out in like early 2004 and mm-hmm. I started modelling late 2003. So I just hit this mad time where it was sort of like, it was kind of like a heyday, but it was just, yeah. It, it, and, and then I I remember kind of thinking, I'll do this for a couple of years. I'll make a bit of money. I'll like buy a house and then I'll go to uni and it did it ended up being 10 years and I remember getting to like approaching 30 and I don't think I ever had a problem I always had I was always a little bit um what's the word like reluctant you know it it was never and that's not like judging anyone whose dream it was to kind of you know be a glamour model or a page three but it was just it was never something that was even on my radar so when I was doing it I didn't know anything about that world. And yeah. I think because at the time that I did it, like I wasn't on social media when I was modelling, thank God, because mm-hmm. I wouldn't have wanted to know what was, you know, yeah. being said. But I was always a bit like, oh, I just do it for another year and then I'll stop. And then you just get you just get into it. And the actual job was fine. Like people always say, oh, it must have been, you know, you must have met some really dodgy characters. But at the time that I did it, you know, all of the photographers, there were, of course, there was some dodgy people around, but everyone we worked with, with the magazines, it was so professional. And these were yeah. like, you know, but I think I didn't realise at the time, I would justify it in my head and always go, oh, I'll stop in a year, I'll stop in a year, I'll do something with it. But I didn't have anyone around me. Like, I remember being like in my mid 20s and thinking, I really don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something else. I want to either go back to uni I've toyed with like uh, a psychology degree for my whole adult life. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't have the support really from like at the time kind of partner or, or anyone to kind of go, yeah, do something that makes you actually something that you're proud of. So I just kind of kept doing it and I can't bellyache about it because I I did some amazing things Mm. and I don't regret it because I wouldn't be where I am now. But when people go, oh, do you regret it? And I'm like, I don't regret, like, it doesn't, this sounds weird, but it doesn't bother me that, like, anyone can Google naked pictures of me tomorrow. But as I've got older, I've started to understand the damage of just working for some of those publications. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that, I mean, I didn't work for The Sun, I, I always used to work for The Star, But you think back to like, they literally used to have, you know, they'd have a girl on page three of the sun with a speech bubble saying, you know, Sam, 21 from Essex, thinks that all those refugees in dinghies should go the hell back home. Like, so when people go, oh, have you got a problem with it? And I'm like, I do, because I was part of something that the messaging, I think, was really damaging, like a bigger thing that I didn't think of at the time. It's a really interesting and nuanced time um 
I remember around then I was approached by the band page three campaign to support that. And I thought about it a lot. And I knew a few different people who were in glamour and numerous different things. And I kind of said, look, I'm not comfortable getting behind it because number one, it seems backwards to tell women what they can or can't do as a job. I I knew women who were perfectly perfectly happy to be doing that and earning a lot of money. So it felt weird as a male to turn around and go, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Oh, that's not acceptable. And the kind of the longer response I gave was, I think there's far more damage in the rest of the pages of The Sun, whether it be the celebrity gossip where they're just tearing people down or the fashion bits where at that era of the supermodel, there was really unhealthy body image stuff being yeah. promoted and pushed. And again, and then just add at the end all the racism. Um, <laughs> yeah. But in general, and I kind of went, went back with that. And the person who approached me at the time, again, I don't know who they were, if they're at the front of it or just at the side, kind of turned around and said, look, I, I agree with all of that, but ban page three is easier to, to push. It's, is, it's an easier yeah. slogan yeah. or whatever else. I was like, well, yeah. cool, I'm not on board then. Because it's, yeah. again, the, the, the issues are far greater than that but i said it is such a weird and nuanced time because there must have been so much exploitation misogyny Mm. men making loads of money off of young women but also there were women making a lot of money as 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 you've said not really meeting any horrible people yeah your reservations seem to come from just your own preference rather than any kind of you know i'm being pushed into this or pushed into that it's kind of as you've said yeah. if you weren't that outgoing or confident in the first place you might be like well this is fun but I don't want to keep doing it because it's not natural yeah. to me kind of thing you know yeah and I think just that the actual kind of day-to-day of it was literally just you know go up to London do a photo shoot shoot see all the lovely people um and the other girls and have a really nice day and then go home so I was very It was always, I found it like a really, not that it was really hard, but that thing of my life experience was just very normal. You know, when I was at home in Winchester, I was like a Stepford wife in my house. The key part of that story is, and then go home. Because that's where that industry and era got dark was when there were all sorts of parties or events or whatever and people, yeah. Yeah. Just, and, yeah. But I, I say, like, the, the flip side of what you were just saying, of you being asked to kind of vocalise band page three, I was constantly asked to go on to defend it. So I think mm. I did one years ago. I went on, like, Richard and Judy to speak about it. And yeah. I kind of, you know, I was so young and, and naive. But I was kind of going, oh, well, I think women's magazines are more damaging and, you know, not really understanding that it's all part of yeah. the same thing. But I remember kind of throughout my career constantly being asked to do those things and I was like I don't want to because yeah. I see the issues with it just because I'm doing it yeah. doesn't mean I'm a massive advocate for it and I think as I've got older now it's hard to weigh that up to go oh but you still did it though didn't you even though you had the issues with it's, it it's the but... early days of what's been heightened now of it's always us and them our yes. team and their team Polarized. rather than nuance no, no, if, yeah, if, no gray if, area. if you were asked to come on to give your honest opinion and say, no, I do do this, yeah, there's some things I'm not sure about, mm. then that wouldn't be what they're after. They want you to come on and go, nope, it's perfectly fine, it's this, it's that, rather than yeah. have an honest debate on the on the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it felt so like that at the time. But yeah, it's it's one of the, it's such a weird one with that, because I don't, I can't regret it, because I no. like where I'm at now. But when people say, would you do it again? I'm like, absolutely not. Mm. But I wouldn't do it again with the hindsight of what I know now. And I wouldn't know that back then. So it's kind of, you know. It's a catch-22, isn't it? Yeah. And it's like, it's not like I'm, you know, deeply ashamed, but I'm not proud. Like I'm just sort of like, that was my job. And I made those decisions at the time. And I can't undo that. Yeah. And I think I'm a very different person now because we were, we, me and Beth joke a lot. We're like, oh, shall I just do an OnlyFans because I've got my eye on a Hackney townhouse. <laughs> do you know what yeah, I mean? And yeah. I'm like, and I thought about it for a while. I thought I can't. I thought I'm too long in the tooth to do to be doing that. But it's, a lot of the girls I know are, and they're far, they're earning far more money than we ever earn. Well, the that's what's interesting now with OnlyFans in this area, where the power is put back on 
the women creating the content rather yeah. than some big editors or whatever else. So it is a far more honest industry in many ways. Again, still 100% there's going to be yeah. pitfalls, there's going to be yeah. highs and lows and dangerous parts and all this. But in general, I think it's your only fans and your fans leads and whatever else, I think are really good because they give mm. people that autonomy to go, here's, yeah. here's what I'm comfortable with. Again, there's no one pressuring or no boss pressuring you, I guess. There could always be fan base or whatever else, but yeah. Yeah. It feels to me, it, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, a couple of the, of the girls I know that have got it that just feel like they're just more in control of it. Yeah. And it is that, it's not even that, and a lot of, I don't know, but like my, my friend Rian Sugden, we've talked about this, that a lot of that sort of embarrassment and regret over it wasn't even the images or the pictures. It was the stuff that went along with it. It was the having, you know, really kind of sordid, you know, misquoting or people making yeah. up interviews with you saying stuff and you just kind of going, oh, well, I have to just deal with that because that's, what I am and I think that was more damaging than possibly just the visual of going you know when you say oh have you got a real is it really horrible that people just see you as like an object or a picture and I was like I'm it's so fucked up but I was like I'm happier with that if people are just going oh that's just a pretty picture or whatever doing whatever with it I was like I can kind of get my head around that more than people thinking or assuming that they know me because of that yeah so it's, it's a, yeah, it's a weird one. It's, it's, a- it's, it's, again, it's weirdly, it's one of the things I like about the podcast. One of the reasons I started my podcast is when I was doing music and spoken word, a lot of my stuff was quite highbrow. And I started to get really paranoid that people think I'm far more intelligent than I am. <laughs> it's really a weird thing to worry about. But I wanted to do the podcast so that people can kind of, love me or hate me but actually know me if you know what yes, i mean rather yes. than this version of that they've heard 12, 12 songs and that's such a small part of my thought yeah. process and i think it's similar on the podcast because of the way those magazines were represented and maybe some of the the way some of the interviews were done there's an unfair st- 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 stereotype of the lads mag era women and yeah. You absolutely smash that stereotype because you're you're well spoken, you're articulate, you've got opinions and open for discussion and debate and all these other things. Rather than, as you say, what might have been represented as you in a little air quote or a bubble or whatever yeah. else. And I think podcasts and that are fascinating for that because oh, I love it. Some people will have come across Smashing Sundays from going, oh, Lucy Pinder's doing a podcast i liked her in fhm or whatever else and then go all oh, right this is a human this yeah. is a person with v- views and opinions and you know yeah yeah and it's what you said it's like i don't if people are gonna hate if, if someone's gonna hate you like hate me for who i exactly am then. i'd Do rather you know they I mean? hate me for 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 hours of podcasting and there's yeah. loads of reasons to hate me across my podcast <laughs> so I've, I've provided plenty um one of the things that really interested me there again comparing to to my career, which seems really odd because we've had very different careers. No, but it Lucy. is. It's like there um, are some real parallels. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, people often talk to me about my career, going from m- music into podcasting and into acting and all these other things, and think it looks like I've planned it out really well. Mm. So hearing you say how you've kind of never had a plan and stumbled along is interesting because, like, I'm sure you're aware of this, but... Some of the people I know who were in that world back then or now, the Lucy Pinder kind of method or approach was literally a discussed thing as a as kind of a business method. Because as you said, there was, I'm now saying because of your own preference or discomfort, you held off a long time for going, was it topless? I can't remember what the... Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I, I think just because the way I got into it, and it was so alien to me. I was like, when the sun first phoned up that first couple of weeks... Yeah. And said, we want you to come and do page three. I was like, I would never do... I was like, I, I would never do page three. Imagine getting your boobs out in a national yeah. newspaper. So I was like, no, thanks. And then I think I I then was in that world 
And I think I didn't do I didn't do topless uh, for the first like five years of my modelling and, career. And that was it again. To, uh, to be clear, it's talked about wonderfully positively because it feels like such a good <laughs> business approach. I don't want it to imply our people talk about, but no, <laughs> yeah, because it no. feels like it felt like from the outside a really strong business approach because you spent a long time building up the value of of, of a certain things. So when you you did finally decide to do a topless shoot, the fee I'd imagine would be far higher than you would have got from the Sun when they're yeah. approaching you to do yeah. page three and things like that. So. It's interesting to hear that it wasn't quite as planned no. out as it sounds because from the outside it's like man that's that's been played God, perfectly as a career. not even not even slightly planned out I think in my I because I fell into it and I always you know every year the Daily Star would then do a find the new Lucy competition so every yeah. year I was like oh they'll find another girl and they'll stop offering me this money yeah. to do monthly shoots with them so it I wish with it's hindsight, isn't it? If I'd have, if someone had said to me, "You're going to have this career in in glamour modelling and these opportunities in the next ten years," I would have done things very differently. I probably, I don't think I ever would have done page three, mm-hmm. but because it wasn't all it was was year to year going. Okay, I'm still employed. I'm getting another contract renewed. Yeah, and there was always more and more pressure from the Daily Star from IPC, from Nuts Magazine to go, oh, you know, we want to offer you this for it. And I turned out, you know, for five years, I was like, I don't really want to do it. And and then five years in and just having, I know it's not the worst thing in the world that my boobs were all over the internet, but I just, I wish I'd have had someone, the sort of people that I kind of have around me now, I wish I had in my 20s to yeah. go, this is fine as a decision, but there are alternatives. I was I was kind of influenced by people in my life who just saw the money and were mm. like, you'd be an idiot not to take that, you know. And by then I was like, I didn't judge any, you know, I was in that world. And I thought it's just a difference. It's nipples or no nipples. It's not that much difference to me. Mm. Now with hindsight, I'm like, it is quite a big, you know, that there are certain careers that I would never be able to do because I was a topless model. But, you know, there were also massive benefits. But I, but honestly, it was just, yeah, it was just each year going, oh, okay, I'm still employed. Oh, they're probably not going to offer me that money next year to go topless because everyone will just be bored of me by then and hopefully I'll be doing something else. So it was, yeah, it was never planned. I wish it was. I wish I could take like it's really credit interesting, to... though, because again, all the kind of all the things you've learnt there, you've learnt because of the choices you made at the time. And again, I always remember the first time, like when I was starting off in music, the first time I got offered a big amount of money for something, and I was living in my bedroom at my mum's house, and I was like, exactly as you'd kind of said that someone had implied to you there, I'd be st- stupid to turn this down mm. now go three four years down the line I hadn't made millions but I'd made some money it was then easy to turn big amounts of money down because I realized it's not all about the money but it's easy from the outside to be an artist and go oh I don't care about the money but when you're living at home and it's a large amount and you're young you go right well that makes a difference but yeah it's then you get to a point where yeah I've definitely turned down more money than I've made but that's because I got to, I could get to that. I could learn that lesson of going, right, cool. I'm now exactly. not, you know, working in HMV anymore or living in my mum's house anymore. I could now go, I've got enough to get by. I don't need mm. all the money. So yeah. regardless of how much they're offering, if I don't want to do it, I don't have to do it. Yeah. And it's such a, and it is, like you said, it's it's things like that that you own, you can only learn through that lived experience. Yeah. So this is like when me and Beth were talking about, you know, me doing OnlyFans as a joke. And then I started talking to some of the girls and I was like, you're making how much? Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. literally like, sorry, what? And then I started going, yeah, I could literally, I could literally have a, have a Hackney townhouse. And you start going, and then I had to kind of, I don't, I, I, I spoke to my friend um, who used to be a model, who, who now is a, is a photographer about it. And I was like, I know that the, the money isn't, everything because I made so many choices in my 20s for the money and that money gets spent and those things hang around forever and it is that thing of like back to what we said at the beginning of that I do think that in your 30s you you've you know where your joy lies you know where your happiness lies and and that's not saying god if if you're the sort of person that just wants to take every opportunity to to make as much money as 
you can, great. But mm-hmm. it is that thing of going, what makes me happy? What am I, you know, I'm far prouder of, I'm, I'm far prouder of our little podcast than I am of anything I did yeah. when I was modelling. Like it was, it was just a job. And I used to, I mean, it was such a, it's it, it's not as simple as this, but whenever they used to kind of have a go at page three girls, and I did used to say, you know, no one asks the boy working in Sainsbury's if he's, you know, if he feels exploited or um, proud of if he's there. He's he's there for a job. And I used to kind of, you know, traipse that line out all the time. And it's not quite as simple as that, but it was being in an industry where people constantly felt like they had to give an opinion yeah. about it was mad. Yeah. You'd meet people and they'd go, oh, what do you do? And oh, I do modelling. And they go, oh, what are they? And people would go, oh, like fashion modelling? And I was like, well, I'm 5'5 five, five with a massive chest, so probably not. <laughs> and people would feel the need to kind of like panic into going, I think it's fine what you do. And it's kind of like, oh, thanks. I didn't ask yeah. for your, like, I didn't ask for your unsolicited opinion. Yeah. But I think it was, it's fine yeah. that you work in an office. I'm yeah, glad yeah. We're all, yeah. Glad we're all but comfortable I do, with this. But me and Beth talk about this. and We really unpicked this. And, and I was like, but... I think the thing there is what I did. I think if you work in media, whether it's music, modelling, making art, making TV, making film, those things do impact on society. So I think that's why everyone, you know, I used to get really like kind of pissed off by it. But I was like, well, no, actually, like it is, it is a convert. I always remember, God, when I lived in Clapham, Sorry, I'm literally going off here now. I just suddenly remembered this girl. I I was walking back from a night out and this really, really drunk girl, I think I'd stopped to get some water. Why did I do that? I was 10 minutes away from home. Anyway, and this girl kind of came up to me while I was buying like a water in the kebab shop. And she went, I... She went, I, I think I live next door to you. I still do you. And so she was really drunk. We started chatting and she'd seen, she'd seen me doing a self-tape with my flatmate. And she said, what do you do? Because I saw you filming something the other day. And I said, oh, I'm doing, you know, I was like trying to do a bit of acting. And then I said something about modelling and her face just dropped. And she looked at me and she said, and she went, Are you, what's your name? And I said, oh, uh, I said, Lucy. And she went, is it Lucy Pinder? I said, yeah. And she just was absolutely like, she just suddenly was like, do you feel really bad about what you do? And I was like, no, not really. And I thought, Mm. oh, I thought you're too drunk to be having this conversation, love. But, and she was like, and we got into this, like sat in a kebab shop at like one o'clock in the morning of her going, you know, don't you feel bad about the women that have to put up with their boyfriend and just absolutely went for me. And I was kind of trying to go, well, if you fancy Brad Pitt, I said, is your, do, do you think your boyfriend's really upset if you want to stick a Brad Pitt, like Legends of the Fall on? Yeah, yeah. And she said, well, I think it's totally different. And I remember at the time being a bit, you know, I stayed very calm and was like, oh, okay, that's your, you know, view. But I remember being quite pissed off by it. And then I was like, now I'm a bit older. I'm like, I kind of get why people want to have those conversations, but just mad that you can literally be walking home and someone will just go, right. What a way to meet your neighbour as well. <laughs> Not even, this is a stranger, forget it, we're never going to meet again. It's like, oh, this she is horrible and I'm going to see you potentially every flat. day. Her, we could see their um, their kitchen window up in the flat next to ours. And I was like, oh, that's not awkward at all, love. Yeah, but now I'm fair. older, I'm not as... I think I was so defensive about it before because I wasn't that at ease with, with arguing its benefits. So now that I'm older and I've got a bit of distance from it, I'm like, I did that. It wasn't all awful. There was some great stuff to come out of that. I've had some amazing experiences that I would never have had if I didn't do that. But would I choose to do it again? Probably not. I want to, as you mentioned, self-tapes there, I want to talk a little bit about acting because, again, I found another ridiculous parallel, Lucy. I don't know why this keeps happening, but (laughs) for me, moving from being a rapper into acting, there's such a hurdle to get past because there's a lot of films that will just put rappers in and they're not necessarily great they're not necessarily people who are doing it who want to make a career of acting it's just oh i'll be in a film and it's a similar thing for you you're going to be wanting to focus on acting and wanting to do good shit i'd imagine but still you're lucy pinder from fhm or from nuts or from whatever else so how have you found that 
balancing that, I guess, of trying to get te- taken seriously. If like, I don't mean that in a bad way, but it is yeah. something that you've got to kind of overcome. Definitely. And I think kind of all, all I do is kind of hold out thinking that actually age might be on my side here yeah. is that the older I'm getting, because with the acting, like I'd always, I'd loved that, you know, I got an A in drama when I was um Well, that's it, at, hearing like, that, that, that you and, were going to go off to do film studies and stuff like that. It's clear that that was part of your path. And then... Yeah, like just w- have been obsessed with like film and TV, like my whole life and I actually I did some uh, a, a few years ago like I I am obsessed with casting mm-hmm. and I did some casting assisting and I kind of oh, that was what I thought I would end up going in I actually I, I was I was doing some casting assisting for a really fucking great UK casting agency and I was only meant to be there for two weeks and then she asked me to stay and I had a I, I don't think I'd had I hadn't had an audition for months and mm. I had to do a self-tape and I remember just seeing my boss's face when she said I said something about doing a self-tape and I think I saw her as I would as a casting director I saw her kind of go oh you still want to do acting so you're yeah. not taking this seriously and I ended up right. getting that role so it's when I did I did a little indie film called Me Myself and Die and yes. I actually ended up getting the role yeah. and I think if I hadn't and one of the lead role, roles in it as well not yeah. like a small so that's always the and it the, the exciting things to get you get a lot of those auditions yeah. in that you're like it's a line here and there which is dope and again I'm still yeah. on that climb so I'm never there's no roles that I feel are below me or too small but it's always exciting when those ones come through where they're like oh, oh no it's, a, it's you can get your teeth into it you know yeah and just the and just the experience of like we shot in real for like three weeks Amazing. and just like the life experience of that yeah if I hadn't have got that I think I would have just stayed in casting because I yeah. love it because I'm just obsessed with it. Like my my friend, my flatmate um, at the moment, she's a casting assistant and she's like, she's like, you know more people. Like she'll say something and I'll know actors because I just yeah. consume so much TV and yeah. film. Yeah. So I think if I hadn't have got me myself and die, I probably would just have like disappeared off into casting by now. But I, I do, love I that. love acting. That, that absolutely fascinates me loads of my active mates mock me because on the podcast i'll talk about how much i enjoy castings like going in and and auditioning and self-tapes and all of that and meeting casting directors and part of it is because i'm not from that world i've come into this all all late so people have been doing it for years know that it's 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 a system it's a a, an industry honestly i've only had one casting in person that i haven't enjoyed Literally all the really? others, I'm just like, this is amazing. I had one where, because again, I like the interaction of it and the kind of, yeah. I'm very aware that when I walk in the room, a lot of the decision will be m- m- made up. I'm I'm six foot four and I've got a big beard. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of, you'll make a lot of those decisions on impact. Yeah. So I just really enjoy the interaction and getting to know them. And as you say, kind of adding to their catalogue of people that they might pull up at another time even if yeah. I'm not going to get this kind of thing. But I had one where I'd had the first audition. It was great. I got on great with the casting director. And I got called back to audition in front of the director and producer. And I kind of came in on my usual, like, are you all right, guys? I really like the script and excited to be all chatty about it. And I was yeah. like, yeah, okay, do you want to start? It's like, yep, okay. And literally I just, I did it twice and left and there was no kind of, it's the, but that's the only time I've ever had that. Every, yeah. every other casting director, I just, genuinely have had great times just kind of going let's 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 make something well let's and I create think you something learn so much from just doing a casting like i like so we were again saying, having you know, not gone to drama school that's yeah a workshop same. you know yeah that's that's the thing and i think i don't know about you but i have such like imposter syndrome about it and i kind of there's part of me that's like i know i can do this like i know that i'm an all right i'm an all right actress with the right direction and the right yeah part but because I didn't go to drama school did a bit of training but you do kind of just go oh god like so I'm it sounds it's it's probably the wrong approach but I'm just grateful to get a casting because I think oh that's nice they want to see me so even if it's not quite I did one on Monday and I read the role and I thought and and because I am obsessed with with casting from a casting director's point of view yeah. I thought I'm not right for this I wouldn't choose me for this but yeah. I thought well I'll I'll tape it I'll give it a shot because they might 
remember me from something else. And I think you just have to, it is, it's hard, isn't it? Because you know, the casting process, like it can be when you really want something. Yeah. Oh, it can be horrible. I remember. 90% of the time, I'm really good at just doing it and forgetting. But that 10% is brutal. Yeah. That 10%, when, as you say, it's something you really want that you're like. Oh, it's, it's literally like, it's like when you're single and you meet someone that you think, oh my God, you'd be perfect for me, but they're married or they've yeah, got a partner. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh no, but that would have been, if just, if that person wasn't around, I'd have been, and that's, I've only, probably only <laughs> had about, in my whole like acting career or of, of doing castings, I've probably had, I've had three. Yeah. And one was when I, when I was really young and before I'd really done anything, I knew I got, I did a tape for, um, I didn't know I did an in-person audition because it was with my now friend for an Adam Sandler film called Bedtime Stories. Right, yeah. And I literally went in and now I'm friends with the casting director and she said, I remember looking going, what the fuck are they doing sending Lucy Pinder in? Like, why are they sending me a page three girl? Yeah. She's like, this is going to be shit. And I went in, she loved me and they phoned, I still didn't, I, this was back when I was just modelling, I didn't have an acting agent and they phoned my agent and he he phoned me. I remember I was making bolognese in my old house for me and my ex and he phoned me and he was like, have you got your passport? I, you need to, this is like Tuesday. He was like, they're going to fly you to LA on Thursday. You're going to do a chemistry read with Adam Sandler. They love, like, if 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 that goes well, you're in. And I was like, I think even at the time I thought, I what? I was like, I don't think this is happening. And I was a bit like, okay. And and my agent was like, right, we need to sort you out an Esther. And I don't think I'd even ever been to America then. And then literally, so this was the evening because I was cooking. And by 10 a.m. the next morning, they were like, oh, they've gone with someone else. So I learned really early on. Heartbreaking, isn't it? Yeah. And it's really mad because I think they went with, um, is it Teresa Palmer? It's so, it just, it's so in my, it's ingrained in my brain that this role was meant to be like, it was like, it was like British spoil um, aristocrat. Think like Kim Kardashian, but British and blah, blah, blah. And they gave it to Teresa Palmer. It was such a lesson in me going, oh, the brief means nothing. (laughs) Like, so it was a really good lesson and and it was good because it made me think, oh, I can do this. Like if I got that close to that, but there's there have been a couple of those that I still go, oh, I wonder what would have happened if I got that. But you just don't know. You have to just let it go, don't I, you? I, on one of the early episodes of the podcast, I had Ed Scrine on, who's a mate, who was oh, in, yes. amazing actor and great guy. And he, he said his kind of, his motto on that. And it's just simply, why the fuck not? Yeah. And, and just based on the fact that he looks at every role and goes, well, s- Someone has to play that. So yeah. Why not me? Yeah. And it, again, it changed my approach as well because I was exactly the same on looking, mm-hmm. thinking, I'm never going to get this. And then you go, well, actually, there's loads of, of films I watch that has got b- huge people in, b- but they'll, even as a film nerd, there'll be an actor in there that I'm not that familiar with. Yeah. That could be me. <laughs> you yeah. know, I may not be at the, at the huge level, but that's, that's how it works. Someone Absolutely. has to do all of this. Absolutely. And I do think, from from doing a bit of casting assisting it's helped it's made me see how brutal it can be because I've been I've been sat in a room where I've clipped someone's self-tape and the casting director's gone no and I'm literally like but she hasn't spoken yet and they're like no and I'm like oh my god they've spent all day but on the flip side, I, I found that really helpful because I was like, if you're not right, you're not right. Yeah. And it is like, it's like the chemistry thing of meeting people. You kind of go, God, the odds are really against me. But also, like you said, someone's got to get it. Yeah. So yeah. why and not? And I'm like you, completely. I just love, I love being on set. Like I always, I joke to my agent because he's, you know, he'll say, oh no, we, you know, we want to get you this and that. And I'm like, who am I to come in and demand? Like, I would do anything. I just quite like being on sets. Like, I'm like, I'm happy to be like wench number three yeah, in the yeah. background at the bar because I just, the, I love that industry. The amount of times I've had to s- s- say to my agent, like, you do your thing, but be aware I'm doing this role. <laughs> so yeah. so if you demand all this crazy stuff and they say no, I'll hit them up I'm and do it, it for free because I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm doing this. It's like, yeah. obviously I know it's the, their job to, kind of as we were talking about earlier, protect your value, protect your worth if you've got to a certain... I always remember that from touring days that our, our live agent would be like, well, no, once we've started putting you out for this much money, we can't put you out 
for that much money because it means everyone should then have to pay that. And I mean, I understand there's there's business sides of things, but with everything in acting, it's like every time there's a role that I really want and they've offered, and it's now the negotiation bit. I'm like, look, just just give just it don't to mess me. it up, basically, because <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's gonna go wrong. Oh, I know. I'm literally like, it's like with modelling when we used to, um, you know, there are some jobs that you do for the money and there are some that you go I really want to do that so I would take less and I do think it's such a and I've got so many friends who are actors and it's fucking hard like and I've got friends that trained and have have worked really hard and it's hard isn't it because it's you feel like it's such a privilege to be to be working but also I do think in the creative arts like people can get like especially if you really want something and that shouldn't mean that people can pay you less because you're still work yeah. like it's a it's a fine balance isn't it exactly that and that's that's why and again agents it's why agents and that are so yeah. amazing and important because they're the ones who have to to keep that balance because yeah us because we can blame uh, it all on them us fucking nerds <laughs> who, who just want to go and be part of it and being yeah i just want to be in the canteen and hang out also, with everyone i was about to say i just want to be in the canteen <laughs> so oh, again I if it was down it. to us We'd be getting paid nothing and we'd be yeah. working crazy hours. So yeah. that's why they're absolute heroes. Um, <laughs> I mean, we could talk for hours, but I've got to oh, wrap this up. So um, <laughs> I guess w- w- what's the plan going forward? Is acting the focus, acting and the podcast? I know you're recording new episodes. In fact, ha- have you been recording new episodes already? We did. We did the first ep on Saturday Great. with um, Dan Thomas, who's a Welsh comedian. Um, we, Me and Beth are... It is, we were so hungover. We were so hungover. <laughs> so it's very, it's, it's very, very smashing Sunday. Sundays. Say, yeah, yeah, it's very smashing Sundays. So Brilliant. we're, and then we're recording a load in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we're just, just keeping on, you know, I just keeping on trucking on, um, auditioning. I, I love acting. I love doing the podcast. Me and Beth are kind of, we have we, there's a couple of projects that we want to do there's one which is basically just like a vanity project that we we want to try and get so my bugbear is that loads of male i know like i'm not really a celebrity me and beth are like we're not famous enough but loads of like male celebrities get paid loads of money just to go around traveling with mm-hmm. like their mum or their best mate and i'm like yeah. i want us to do that <laughs> i yeah. think we should go around so that we've got like a tv show and then i started writing an autobiography and i'm just not candid enough yeah when I started writing it I thought I can't release this anytime soon because so so much of my kind of pivotal life moments uh, other people are so involved that I mm. just think I don't think I would feel comfortable yeah releasing a book understand. yet yeah so I'm trying to um me and my old manager actually have talked about this quite a lot about about doing either a book or a script that's like loosely based on all, me. All of my music was always because I felt exactly the same. I wanted to write really personal and open and honest stuff, but I didn't feel comfortable. So every song I wrote, ex- ex- except for one, was kind of based on true emotions and feelings, but changed the events or the people or things like that. And yeah, and always made it me. So I was always like as if I've gone through all this. And yeah, I think that I yeah. completely understand that, that weirdness of it's going to be shit if you hold back. Yeah. But equally, it's if it's other people's stories or other people's yeah. trust, even if it's your story, but it was exactly. trusted among someone, then it's a tough one. So that makes so a lot of sense to we, try and create something new. So we get around that by new. going, oh, it's a script. It's not yeah. me. Oh, no, that person you think you recognise from that funny no, no, story. No no, 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 I can't. Yeah, so... Yeah. So that I think I really need to, I'm so bad. I'm such a procrastinator. I get easily put off. I get imposter syndrome. And, and this year I'm like, no, the the podcast, we just want to build, like not not like build a brand, but we just want to build it because we love doing it so much. So if we can just do, we want to do more of that and just write and make some stuff for telly, hopefully. And hopefully someone will give me an acting job. Hopefully I'll be like a dead body in Father Brown soon or something. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I can't wait for that episode and I can't I can't <laughs> wait for the new episodes of Smashing Sundays. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming in and chatting. Oh, thank you so much for having me.
You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Lucy Pinder. I was really excited to have Lucy on because I think she's one of many examples that kind of smashed the stereotype, the unfair stereotype that was built in that Lads Mag era of, as as she mentioned, the kind of poorly (laughs) used quotes or just completely fictional quotes that gave the impression of the whole, yeah, that 90s, early 2000s bimbo cliché so many of the women I know from that era are wonderfully articulate and intelligent and, you know, far more than simply what was maybe presented for the consumption of late 90s, early 2000s lads. (laughs) So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. And there's more chat coming next week. I have an amazing chat with Beth Granville really as i say at the start of it i didn't know loads and loads about her outside of the podcast and a radio show as she did so i didn't know how it'd go i didn't know if it'd be a shorter episode or awkward conversations and man it was one of the easiest conversations i've i've had i know i bring that up a lot if it happens but i always think that's a really positive thing when you meet someone for the first time and it's just a really easy chat and that was the case with lucy we chatted for about 30 minutes after this because as a lot of you listeners will know i'm a <laughs> i'm a big fan of casting directors and the casting process and i didn't know that lucy had worked in that world as well and i find that shit fascinating so yeah we got into a load of stuff um off mic as well uh yeah so i'll be back on friday with another wonderful guest until then stay safe and stay sane Ta-ta. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.